0: Welcome to Under the Hood, a podcast by Le Studio, where we talk about the ins and outs of entrepreneurship with real life innovators. Hi everyone, this is Sophie Duré. In this episode, I talked to one of my favorite founders, Oscar Orson. I apologize for the pronunciation because this is definitely not the Icelandic pronunciation of his name. You might've heard of Omnom on Netflix in the web series, Down to Earth with Zac Efron or you may have had a chance to taste Omnom chocolate. In any case, you know that this company and its team are very, very special. And I'm really excited about this episode. Don't forget to share your impressions with us after listening to this episode and to follow our guests journey on their social media as well. A little bit of background on Oscar. Oscar is a passionate and dedicated entrepreneur with 20 years of experience with a proven track record of turning innovative ideas into thriving businesses. He is the co-founder and CEO of Omnum Chocolate, a brand that is recognizable for its quality, sustainability, and uniqueness. Who would have thought that chocolate could be made in Iceland, huh? Oscar's journey as an entrepreneur, as you will learn in this episode, began with a vision to create products and services that bring value to people's lives. He believes in fostering a positive and inclusive company culture and empowering employees to unleash their full potential. When he's not working on scaling Omnum, Oscar is a mentor to the next generation of entrepreneurs. I hope you enjoy my conversation with him as much as I did, and that you enjoy learning about Omnom. Welcome, Oscar. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with me.
1: Thank you, Sophie. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm excited about this one. I mean, we've known each other for a long time, but I think we've never really had an opportunity to talk about everything that we're going to talk about today. So I'm very excited. Thank you. Okay, so I told you, but we always start the conversation with the same question for everyone else. And I'd love for you to tell me something that you're proud of that has nothing to do with work.
1: I'm mostly proud of my daughter and my son. My daughter is six years old now, starting school, and Oliver is 13. And yeah, that's the most... And I'm also proud of myself, you know.
0: <laughs> as you should, yeah. <laughs> Yes.
1: You sometimes forget that. You need to be proud of yourself as well.
0: Absolutely. No, I love that. Yeah, I think family and friends, and specifically in the world of entrepreneurship, is the most important. And I think you've done definitely a really good job at that.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: So, okay, let's take it from the kind of the beginning, if you don't mind. And can you tell me and tell us a little bit of, of your background and kind of everything in your life that you want to share before Omnum?
1: Yes. I was born in Reykjavík and soon after I moved to a small village in the west fjords of Iceland. It's a small fishing village called Bildudalur. And I grew up there. And until I was maybe around 12 years old, I moved back to Reykjavík. And I was always interested in working. You know, I wanted to work. I wanted to work uh, as soon as I could with my father on the fishing boat. He He had a fishing boat. So after 13 years old, I started working in the summertime on the fishing boat, and then I really learned how to work because the shift was maybe thirteen hours up to twenty four hours shift
0: mm-hmm.
1: Wow. And I didn't like school so much, but I went through <laughs> this the school that I needed and then basically I went working in different restaurants, as a waiter, also in the kitchen. And when I was seventeen years old, I went to Spain as a volunteer for one year. I learned Spanish. And also, you know, I had made a lot of good friends that I still have today. And when you're 17 years old, you start maybe thinking, what what am I going to do when I be older? And I also had always had this dream to start my own company. So when I came back home, I started uh, like a fishing export company with my father. And then later on, I started importing ceramic stuff from Spain and furnitures and things like that. So basically just buying something and selling it more expensive. And then I started a company with my cousin, and we started importing also fishing bait for the autoliners. So this was not maybe big innovative ideas, basically just servicing the market. And this was around 2002 and 2003. And there was a lot of lack of like working employees or staff to, for buildings and things like that in Iceland. So we, we serviced that need by importing workforce from Poland and Portugal. And at this point I had around 250 people working for me. I had 100 real estate because they needed to live somewhere. So I had a real estate company. And also I was importing around 100 containers of bait per year. <laughs> so it, was, it grew very fast. And then basically overnight at the crash 2008, it collapsed basically. But we managed to start again, and it's around that time I, I was starting to be maybe a little bit tired. I wanted more passion in the project or the project that I was making. And then that's uh, the time that the captain contacted me, my friend.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so this is everything yeah, I... in, a, in, a, in two minutes before, before I'm known. <laughs>
0: I love it. I love it because it gives a great insight into who you are, I think. I mean, from from what I know of you, like you're very much an entrepreneur and kind of uh, what we can imagine of, you know, being an entrepreneur, like you always have new ideas, you're very extremely resilient, and you're kind of always looking for the next, you know, big thing. So I think that gives a good insight into who you are. And you created the yeah the good segue for me to get into Omnum because obviously this is you know uh, what you're focusing on uh, today and, and you've been focusing on for the last few years. But uh, yeah, I think when we met was not the beginning of Omnum. I think Omnum was around for maybe three, four years when we met already. Yeah, um,
1: three
0: years. Three years. Yes, that's correct. And then, yeah, I fell so in love with you know, what you guys were building and obviously the product itself, but just the story of the company, I think is really cool. So yeah, tell us a little bit about Anam and when it started, how it started all of this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so my friend, Kerton, we've been friends since we were 13 years old. And uh, when I was doing all of this companies, importing and exporting, he was learning how to become a chef, but we were always in good relationship and talking. And when we met, we were like fantasizing about, what we could do together and you know making a restaurant or doing something but at this time around 2012 he approached me because he wanted to make a bakery or like pastry shop with uh that would make its own Mm -hmm. chocolate and i it it was a time in my life that i was maybe looking for something a little bit more passionate and finding a passion for what what i was doing And I really loved the idea Uh, and he showed me what was happening in the world, like similar what was happening with beer, more crafted beers and also with coffee. And I thought, okay, I don't know nothing about chocolate, but I like this idea. So, (laughs) (laughs) and I like, you know, we had this, we had the same passion for, for cooking. And when you cook for someone, if it's a good meal, uh, people are usually happy and it's a good feeling that you get from giving good food. So he pointed out a company in the the US, Must Brothers Chocolate, and I actually went there in 2012, and I I loved what they were doing. So when I came back, I said, okay, I'm ready to take this further, but I want to skip the bakery idea for for the moment and just focus on the chocolate. And it's important to know that I I didn't know nothing. I I didn't know production of chocolate. I didn't know the distribution. I didn't know how to make a brand, completely nothing. And I, I many times say, If I would have known how difficult it is, I would never have started. (laughs) But this 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 is a real entrepreneur mindset. You go into something without the knowledge, and we just went into it. And how we did it in the beginning was just ordering some few machines, raw material. So we got some beans. We had, of course, the Icelandic milk here in Iceland, sugar, and Kjartan basically in his apartment. Started to make tests, and uh, there are many houses in the. It's like a complex of buildings, and it was like smell of chocolate for three months <laughs> everywhere.
0: I'm sure people were happy. <laughs> yeah, it
1: was, it was not so bad. Soon we found out that we could make better chocolate that we could buy in the scro- in the supermarkets. So this was like okay, we can take this further. But this is just one part of a project, so we need to create a brand or packaging. We didn't know not so much about brand at that time, but packaging, logo, website. So we contacted Kertan's friend, uh, Andre Vissas. He's a graphic designer. And he helped us in the beginning to make the logo, the packaging and things like that. And we had bought a lot of different chocolates around the world. And they were all looking pretty the same. So we wanted to do something completely different. That was the only like description that we gave him. We wanted something different. We wanted something colorful. And he brought out the first design. And then nine months later, we had the first product and we were selling. And it was bootstrapped in the beginning. We just self funded And we were very lucky because we could start the, the production in a old gasoline station that had the license food production license so we could start just with the same machines basically that we had in Kaftan's apartment and it looked very mature maybe company in the beginning but there was very little behind it almost nothing and for me it was always the like the star that I was looking at just to sell the first chocolate bar that was like the most important for me because i knew that to a next stage you need to have some revenue i was not comfortable with creating a company that was not having a revenue from the from the beginning and uh, we created five types of chocolate and we went with a, like a stand to the local coffee shop and we brought it around maybe 12 o'clock in the noon <laughs> And uh, we waited. We seated down and we waited to see if someone would bought it. And the retail price was around fifty dollars, $15 for 60-gram bars. So we had no idea how to put the price. So we just looked at the product and and thought, how much would someone possibly buy it for? And just a few minutes uh, after we bought it, we sold the first bar.
0: Wow. You know, also, Oscar, I remember seeing the um, gas station where... Omnom was before, yes. so and and how it looks now, such a big step. So okay, so you went from seeing if people would buy the chocolate, which I mean you've seen it after a few minutes already someone was buying, yeah. was buying it in front of you, and then that was just your signal. You were like, okay, we have we have a market, let's just do it.
1: Yeah, basically, and that gave us energy to keep on with the project. And we also got very good reviews. We got emails. I, I remember one email from Dubai that someone visiting Iceland came, brought it to Dubai. And when you're so young as a company to getting a validation like that, gives you a lot of energy. And it was just, I screamed, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, international, already international since the beginning.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so.
0: No, that's amazing.
1: But it was a really fun time. Because we were doing everything ourselves, you know, I was I was tempering chocolate in the morning, then in the afternoon maybe packing a little bit, and then driving around the shops. And we were we were very lucky in the beginning because we didn't need to basically sell the product. Everybody that was buying the product contacted us first, so we had the demand right away. And uh, after the first year, it was it was around three hundred thousand dollars in sales and one million dollars in sales the second year. So it was really nice time, very low cost, and we could buy machines to increase the production. Mm -hmm. And what's good about Iceland, we could enter the duty free. So travel retail market like globally is a quite challenging place to be. There are a few big companies that basically service the the airports and and control the market. But in Iceland, it's small. So I remember when I went there, I went in November the same year when, when we started. And they said, okay, we want it. And I said, okay, maybe next year when I have more production capacity. And they said, no, no, no. You need to bring it now in December. We want it <laughs> before Christmas.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, it shows that when you have a good product and there's you know, the space on the market, like it can go really fast. One thing, Oscar, that we talked about I mean, I want to talk about more the sourcing and the, and the sustainability aspect of the brand. But before that, because you mentioned it a little bit, I know we talked about cash flow in, in preparing this episode. But I, I think because you said like you you went into it without really knowing not anything about building a company because you did that before, but kind of what it took to build a chocolate company, which is very different from everything that you had done before so some of the you know some of the challenges that you I think you faced and, and you tell us but I think part of it was kind of managing that cash flow always and like revenues and like the investments that you need to do to kind of always grow um, can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So in the beginning, it was not so, so hard. And what I did, actually, I, I had done so many business plans and I've been so rich in Excel that I decided to do na- nothing until I knew the numbers. So I need to know the, the cost of the packaging, the cost of the raw material, the cost of the labor. So after the first few months, I could really calculate something and make a, a, a forecast. And what I didn't realize is when when you scale up a business like this, it's really cash demanded, you know. So when you need to build up the stock for raw material, for the packaging, and also for the stock for, for ready products. And as you grew, you always need to make it bigger and bigger and bigger. So I didn't expect how much cash is needed, actually, to scale it. And we are still, after 10 years, having pretty much the same problem. And that's maybe what I would have done differently is take the steps maybe a little bit slower. And what is most hurting for the cash flow is when you scale up. Mm-hmm. So the investments that you do, you take it from the, from the cash flow. And the, the return is maybe not right away. It's maybe after two years or if you're investing in a brand or machines. And there have been quite many moments, probably two or three, that I thought, you know, this is, this is not going to happen. Yeah. You know, this is finished. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it can be tough sometimes
0: yeah I can see that I mean this is something that we see with a lot of entrepreneurs I mean that's that's kind of you know there's always that one challenge for each company that kind of goes like comes back yeah. and it's a little bit of a cycle and it's just inherent to you know either what the product is or you know the way things are done but uh, yeah yeah
1: mm-hmm.
0: Oscar can we go into the the more of the supply chain of the the company because obviously we're talking about chocolate so you already from the get go with Cartan you you had an idea of you know, bean to bar, that bin to bar kind of situation where you wanted to make sure that the product was sourced really, really well and everything around it, the packaging, the you know, all the ingredients were also sustainably sourced. Can you can you tell us about this journey for Omnum?
1: It is basically from the beginning, we decided to make this kind of company. So we didn't need to change like many companies maybe today, they need to change into more sustainable supply chain. So how we did it in the beginning, we have, it's, it's not so many raw materials. So we have cocoa beans that can be quite risky. We have sugar. We have then milk powder. Milk powder we have from Iceland. Cocoa butter we buy as well. Then we have, like for the flavored chocolate, we have licorice root, malt extract, things like that. And in the beginning, we basically just, without writing them down, we said, okay, we, we want to know everything about the, the product that we are buying, the raw material. This also comes from Kartan's experience being a chef. He wanted to know where all the material comes from and the story, if possible. In the beginning, we were very much focused on the flavor. So we choose beans which had the flavor profile that we liked. So in the beginning, it was Madagascar and it was Papua New Guinea. We liked Papua New Guinea because it was very different flavor from everything else. It was it's, it's very smoky because they dry their beans with fire. But in that case, for example, that was not a sustainable bean, so we need to stop using Papua New Guinea. And now we're working with three beans, Nicaragua beans, Tanzania and Madagascar. And uh, what happened then, when we were a little bit older or, or mature company, we got help to map out the whole value chain, the whole supply chain, and that was really good because then we could value each and every product. We could give them like a risk factor and know the whole story behind it. And sustainability starts with transparency. And that was a word that we always talked about. We want to be completely transparent. There are no secrets here. This is, this is food that we are creating. We want people to know where it comes from, how it's made. We, we are not trying to hide some recipe or nothing like that. It's, it's, everything is open. So that was really important for us. So after this work, we got the help from, her name is Christine Archer. She was working for Bottyshop before. And that was like whole week. And we learned so much from her, how to map out the whole value chain. And after that, we could make our first uh, like transparent report.
0: Yeah, I remember. I remember that time. And I think that makes made a big difference. And and as you said, like transparency has always been at the core of Omnum. But because I mean, you also understood that it was a business decision to do to have a sustainable supply chain. It obviously it goes with the value that you have, and you want you know you want to make sure that the product is has a lot of quality and is sustainable for the environment, society. But I think it's it's a business decision at the end of the day. Like if you don't have the cocoa beans because it's not you know produced sustainably, then you don't have chocolate. Of course,
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course, today and 10 years later, every company is, is thinking about this. But that, for us, it felt so normal somehow. Maybe because we didn't know nothing else, but this was so normal for us to think like this and important, and important for the brand.
0: And the transparency uh, is also... I mean, if I go to Reykjavik, I can go and visit Omnum and I can see you know, the behind the scenes, which is amazing.
1: So, yeah, one part of the transparency is that we have the shop open that you can see into the factory we had tours before COVID that you could walk Mm -hmm. around the factory but we need to stop it yeah also because of quality regulations that we of course that we are having
0: yeah yeah no that makes that makes sense And I know you mentioned something about, like you talked about the brand, but what were some of the challenges that you encountered when building the brand? I know you wanted it to be very anchored in Iceland because obviously it's so unique, like chocolate in Iceland, like people are often... Wondering what's the, what's the <laughs> link, um, but then even like the way that you open the, you know, the bar and like the packaging and the colors, like everything has a meaning. I think, if I remember well,
1: maybe not a meaning, but this this was mostly what we thought about was the use, like the user experience, and we thought about that in the beginning. Huh? You will receive the chocolate. What's going to happen? How are you going to open it? And if you don't eat the whole bar. Uh, what are you going to do? You will put it back in. And we we wanted then the packaging to be nice, even though you had eaten half of the chocolate. These were things that we were thinking about in the beginning. What we maybe struggled with in the beginning, and it have taken some time, is to really have the brand strategy. And this is what you need when you maybe grow as a company, when you want outside people to help you with marketing, to have the brand strategy. And we maybe always had it in our minds, but it's difficult to put it to paper but so we have that and we just recently finished that work after a few companies that helped us in the past we, we found uh, here in iceland uh, company that that could help us doing that so that was really important
0: yeah yeah no that makes sense and then you mentioned the the duty-free aspect or like the um, duty-free distribution but one of the strategies that you have as well is making sure that you have different distribution channels which i find really interesting there's always like Omnum is like you can find Omnum a lot of different places
1: yeah, I'm not sure if it was so much strategy uh, in the beginning, especially, but because we needed to have s- sales to, to have more cash, to have more cash flow, to grow the business more. But Iceland is quite small. So we have three major supermarket chains. We have maybe around 30 different retail like, locations, like specialty stores, and hotels and restaurants and things like that. And then we have the, the duty free. And all of these sales channels, and then we have our own store, all of these sales channels are different. And, but here in Iceland, it was quite easy for us to enter all of them. And we are basically everywhere in Iceland. We are in this whole, this three supermarket chains. It's around 100 stores totally. And then we are in the specialty stores, we have our own store, and then we are online and also travel retail. And people that know what I'm talking about, they, they, they understand that there, there is different language and different approach to each and every sales channel. Uh, maybe the biggest challenge or one of the challenges was t- to maintain the the same price point in all of these places. There are different margins requirements for duty-free than for supermarket, for example. And we actually thought in the beginning that we would not enter supermarkets, but we found out that to be able to have a food production company in iceland you need to be in supermarkets people buy chocolate in supermarkets they buy it when they're pre- buying other food they buy chocolate so it was really important for us to enter that sales channel
0: mm. and from iceland how do you go to the us like how did it work for you finding you know, space in the U.S. Yeah,
1: so one of the things to be Icelander, we we think, because we are so small, we always think big. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, and for us, before we started the project, I said, yeah, we are going to make an international company. We're going to make an international brand, chocolate brand and uh, I had no idea how to do that and how difficult it is to do export. But we were very lucky in the beginning. We had good partners in the U.S. and still have good partners in the U.S. Distributed at the just after the first year of 2014, we started working with them. Their name is A Priori. Matt and Jelena are the founders and owners of that company. And they specialized in good bean-to-bar chocolate And we have a very good relationship and we just built it slowly. So few stores in the beginning and it had been growing every year. And now we are two years, we've been two, three years in Whole Foods, a specialty, And now we got the news before Christmas that we will be in Whole Foods core. It's amazing. Which is all of the Whole Foods Foods stores. But I'm still learning how the distribution and retail market works in, in the US. It's much more complicated than in Iceland, and basically entrepreneurs need to know that each and every country have different culture and different way of working. So export can be challenging, and we had we have started export in some countries and need to stop because it was too challenging. But US have have worked very well, and we also have our own online stores there. And the US company we have a US company now. Oh,
0: yeah, oh really?
1: Amnum <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate Inc.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> No, no, that's that's great. I mean, I always get really excited when I see Omnom somewhere in, I mean, I'm very lucky that in San Francisco I can find it pretty much, you know, easily, but even when I'm traveling around the U.S. and I find Omnom in like random places, I'm always very excited. I'm like, oh, they made it here. (laughs) That's really cool.
1: Yeah, we were were also very excited when we saw it first in a store, actually in San Francisco. We went for a chocolate fair there. Just as a visitors, I think it was 2016, 2015, or even forty. It was so early. And we saw it, it was in Pike's Place. There's a small shop over there. No, it was in San, uh, Seattle, sorry, not San Francisco. A
0: Seattle.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we were so proud. But our product was in the U.S. It was an amazing moment.
0: Yeah. It's not a small feat. Huh? I mean, it's especially, I mean, again, we said like Iceland is, is you know, it's a different market. It's a smaller maybe market. It's a different approach. The U.S. is its own beast. So, I mean, it's it's, it's not easy. Talking about Iceland, I would love, I mean, obviously you know, I know your Icelandic carton is Icelandic. So it made sense to build a company there and everything else. But uh, what were the resources that you had at the beginning? Because, you know, in the US, when you build a company, you have all these companies that can support you, you can find partners, investors, like you have an ecosystem that's very well developed. Um I don't know about Iceland, but it seems like it might be you know a little bit smaller and maybe more difficult to find all of these resources. How was it for
1: for you? We basically need to learn from our mistakes, and we didn't have much resources over here. But now it's completely different. Just ten years later, we have a really good mentor program. It's called Clark, and the start. I'm actually a mentor there. Have been mentor there for five years now, and it's much much more resources for for startup companies now than it was ten years ago. Yeah, yeah.
0: How's the the government in Iceland is is pushing for more entrepreneurs or for more entrepreneurship or is they they're helping a little bit yeah
1: Yeah now much 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 more also you know 2013 we need to remember we were just basically recovering from the 2008 crisis and it was it was like delayed here for 2 years we had period of 2 years after 2018 that we were just yeah, recovering but the build up started 2010 And then the government around 2013-14, the time that we were starting there, really realized that we need more uh, companies. We need more different companies than selling fish or tourism. And now the support is is, is really good uh, and it's easy to start a company. You just do it online. It takes three, four days to get the, the social security number and things like that. And now there are grants uh, that you can get to start.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. If I can get a little bit more personal, Oscar, I mean, I'm always interested to know about, you know, the well-being and mental health aspect of being an entrepreneur i know you've been steering the wheel for omnom for 10 years how how does that look like for you how do you find the balance with you know there are all these challenges and obstacles and these goals that you want to achieve and you have we said like you have to be resilient you have to always have that motivation but also it's like it's tough right it's tough on the mind it's tough on the body it's tough on your family, like how do you manage that?
1: Yeah, most important is, is, of course, to build a good team. And early on in the business, you're basically doing everything. Uh, you're on the floor, you're doing everything. We are lucky that maybe in the past one, one and a half year, we have managed to maybe go a little bit from the, the day-to-day business and, and be able to see the business from above. And I think this is a really important step for entrepreneurs to, to hire and have a good team of people to be able to look at the business from above, and it has been tough, and it's mostly mentally, of course. And I think all entrepreneurs know what I mean. And I don't know the maybe the definition of burnout, but I I think I've been basically burned out two or three times, and it can be tough, of course. And what I've done, and I feel what is the most important is these three things. Like, and it's it, it's also for life itself. It's just good, healthy food. Exercise every day and good sleep. And as you get older, <laughs> you start understanding how sleep is really, really—it's always important. But I think really, when you are a little bit older, you start uh, feeling how sleep is important. So I, th- I think that's the most important.
0: Yeah. How do you change, like, change your mind? Like, do you do you have time to go on vacations, and or do you make time for your? family maybe every day like how does that work for your own mind
1: yeah of course vacation is really important we haven't been able to take long vacations obviously and in the first five six years it was almost no vacation but now it's a little bit different we are able to have time with our family and also now we are able to not think about work when we come home and I think that is maybe the biggest difference you know before it was you know, 24/7 basically you're you're dreaming chocolate it <laughs> sounds <laughs> and, fun and waking but... up and waking it's not fun <laughs> <laughs> no and waking up middle of the night with anxiety and how am i going to pay the bills how am i going to solve this problem and you're maybe thinking about it for 2 3 hours and you have a solution but then you forget it when you wake up <laughs> so it's not good but it's more comfortable now than than before and you also start understanding that this is all important, but your your health, your mental health is the most important. So without that, you cannot do nothing.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Is it something that you also have as a policy with the, with the team as well? Because, you know, when companies like Omnum, I feel like I would feel very passionate about, like if I were to work with you guys, I would feel very passionate about the product and the story and everything, and you get kind of in it. So is that something that as a CEO, you have to tell the team as well, like, guys, we... What we're doing is amazing, but this is also just a job.
1: Yeah, it, of course, can be challenging to motivate somehow the people. I think it's important for entrepreneurs and CEOs to have the vision and to be able to communicate the vision to the staff, to the team. Uh, I'm, I'm still learning that, and I'm, I'm not maybe the best one. Also because maybe we have not been totally sure about the, the end strategy or, or where we are heading. But yeah, we, we try to have a good company culture and respect, and we, as a CEO and owners, we respect the free time of people. We are not sending emails in the in the evenings or in the night or calling early in the morning so and when you give that respect to to the free time of others, you get the the same uh, for your time so. I think that's really important as well.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, okay, last two questions for you because I want to make sure that we cover that before we end. What's ahead for Omnum? What are some of the nice goals that you have for the next um, couple of years, let's say?
1: So w- what we are doing now and maybe the biggest changes that we are doing now, we are simplifying the bit the, the product portfolio and mostly because of to have better production more production capacity and also more efficient production. So that maybe is the biggest project that we have been working on. One example is last year we were spending two months of the whole year to make the Christmas uh, production. And that means that we're not producing any of the other chocolate bars like the caramel or Coffee uh, that are more popular chocolate bars during that two months. And it was really tough on the cash flow because we, need, we, we were doing it in May and June it was not the best sales uh, then, but we need to buy all the raw material, all the packaging and do all the production and you don't get any money until September, October. Plus, we didn't have products of the best selling bars during good months because we have good months in tourism here in Iceland. So we couldn't deliver the, 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 like the core products. So we're changing a little bit the product portfolio. And I think that's like the biggest project for us uh, this year. And then we we will also we will stop with few parts and then we will bring others at the same time.
0: Exciting. Okay, I'll be on the lookout for the, <laughs> for the new ones. Yes. Um, okay, and then, so we, we always start with the same question and always end with the with the same question as well. Uh, it's very important. I mean, we, we mentioned it a little bit in our conversation, but it's very important for us uh, in terms of, you know, bringing kindness to business. And so my question is, is there an act of kindness that maybe you've received recently or that you've experienced that you can talk to us about?
1: In my free time... And I, this was something that I had—I never thought I would do—but I became a mentor and helping other companies. And I that have also helped me through this this journey and the difficult times to be able to help others. I have few companies now that I'm helping, and one is uh I really like—they are making like a lion's mane mushrooms grown here in Iceland. Very exciting material. They're supposed to help your mental health and brain and uh, it's not psychedelic muscle it's just a legal muscle but seeing them starting and with all the experience that i've had and all the obstacles that i've gone through it's very nice to be able to help other companies and i love doing that
0: yeah it changes the focus a little bit i think yeah. as you said like it gives perspective yeah that's that's wonderful Okay, amazing. Well, I think we'll stop here. Thank you so much, Oscar. It was great uh, to have you on the pod. Yeah, very And uh, very excited to see where, yeah, Omnum is going to, to go in the future.
1: Thank you very much. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you. You've reached the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening, as always. If you want to learn more about Oscar and Omnum, check out the links that we included in the description of this episode. If you like our interviews, please leave a review or share our podcast. More tips and tools on how to build your own company are available on our online platform, Le Studio Online, where we have combined our years of experience as investors and entrepreneurs, gathered experts, tips and tools from all over the world, and turned it into an A to Z guide to building a successful company that has meaning. So check this out on Le Studio Online and tell us what you think. Other than that, you know where to find us on LinkedIn and Instagram at lestudio.io everywhere and on our website lestudio.io. Thank you so much and stay tuned for our next episode. Bye!